Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 13 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. So, Angelo, episode 13, some people might consider this unlucky or uh, lucky, depending on which culture you're in. Well, I'm Italian, so, so apparently it's lucky. Okay, so you fall under the luck um, exactly. portion. Okay. Do you know of any other countries where it's a lucky number? Some European countries, um, uh, I don't want to kind of spoiler alert here, but in uh, one of the uh, Wikipedia articles we were reading for today's episode mentioned uh, the countries where it's, it's actually lucky. I just can't remember which article mentioned it, but I'm sure it's somewhere. We, we can drop that. This is the first mention of the show notes. I think it's an early uh, record-setting moment here, so a minute and a half in, we'll put that in the show notes. Perfect. Yeah. All right, great. So how's your week been? It's been pretty good. Uh, it's, it's finally feeling like summer here in Southern Quebec. And, uh, I, um, remember how I had said that I'd fixed my iPad problem with the MIDI? Yes. And we were all excited about that. So, and in my excitement, I didn't notice that, uh, the version of GarageBand running on my iPad was the, uh, non-optimized version. So for people that don't know, uh, every version of an app on iOS, uh, the universal one comes with different versions within it to kind of scale up properly the type of device you're using. So if you're using an iPhone 6, it'll scale up to the 4.7-inch screen. If you're using an iPad mini, it'll, it'll be for the 7.9 or the 9.7 with the other iPad. But the version on 12.9 is supposed to be quite different from the other ones where you can have a lot more stuff on the screen. And the keyboard is really different on the 12.9-inch as well. The Both keyboards, actually, the uh, piano-type keyboard and the letter keyboard but I was getting the blown up version from the other iPad. So it looked kind of blurry and fuzzy. And you really notice it on the menu bar at the top. How long did it take you to realize that? You're going to say something? Yeah, I, told, I asked you, how long did it take you to re- realize that this was an issue? So um, I, I sounded rude there. I'm like, you were going to say something? Uh, <laughs> Come on, bro. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, just a few minutes, actually, I, I was too excited before we started the podcast to actually notice. And then uh, I think the next day is when I noticed it. And I posted a few things online. I went to Reddit. And not many people were talking about this, but there were a few responses to some of the posts I made. And it was all people with the 2017 uh, 12.9-inch iPad that were noticing it. The older iPads weren't having an issue. And some guy, I think it was on Reddit, he went to the Apple store. To, to look into it. And the genius uh, there actually on his iPad 12.9, it was working fine. So it was the older iPad. But all the display models in the Apple Store had the weird blown up version. But yesterday, Apple updated everything, which they tend to do is every single thing needs to be updated at the same time. And uh, people like me that have everything need to be updating everything. And uh, after the update, the I re-download GarageBand and it works like it should. I have the full keyboards. Uh, everything looks good. I have a lot more space on the screen. It's uh, quite a bump up from uh, the iPad version, previous iPad version, and the iPhone version. You get a lot more info on the screen, and it's going to be really helpful when I decide to actually start recording some music. So this isn't your first rodeo when it comes to GarageBand. As I understand it, you and I are both, um, I wouldn't use the word veterans, but long-standing members of the GarageBand community. Um either on a desktop or a laptop setting, right? Because I go back to, gosh, like 2004 for GarageBand? Yeah, same here, 2003 uh, on mine, when I got my iBook at the end of 2003. 
And uh, it's, you know, I used to record my music on a laptop and now uh, I have my desktop as well, but I can basically record it on this flat piece of glass and metal. And it's pretty impressive that it just weighs a a pound and a half and it's hardly takes up any space. It's, it's still as like an old man at this point was what I feel like is like uh, back in my day, we had these uh, giant thick laptops and never mind the people that used to record real or real but have you uh, ever dropped your ipad out of excitement not yet i've never actually i think i've dropped my iphones a few times uh my five and my my six s i think i've dropped it but uh never from a big enough height to cause any issues i've never dropped an ipad knock on wood not that i'm superstitious or believe in that type of stuff which we'll find out later uh but The thing is now is the iPad is kind of starting to replace laptops, but there's been a whole kerfuffle in the Apple community the past couple of weeks where people have been... Right. I think we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, actually, where we talked about using an iPad as a a laptop replacement, and it's kind of gained a lot of traction, I see. Yeah, I think it was our episode of the podcast that everybody listened to, right? That, uh, that, that, That caused people to start writing about this. Of course. Numbers are up. Subs are up. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who's listening to us, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, so um, Twitter, of course, uh, an active social media platform that a lot of people like to use to post their thoughts and comments and hot takes about uh, everything Apple, PC, uh, and even, uh, you know, uh, video game related too, right? So in this particular instance, a lot of uh, tweeters had a lot of ideas about whether or not uh, they consider their iPad a laptop replacement. Yeah, and... There, there's always some snark going on, and people like us that are are very uh, techy sort of thing. Uh, for example, that have a podcast. Not many people really. A lot of people have podcasts now, but most people don't. Uh, what we've said this before: the way we set up our podcast, we can't use an iPad uh, with how we record. But we, if we really wanted to, we could record on an iPad if we were in the same room, or if we actually kind of separated our. Uh, channels with regards to how we would communicate we'd have one an iphone basically for our hangouts call and then record directly into the ipad which would be a little more complicated it's very redundant yeah and i guess it's just easier to record on the desktop for that but for most things i'm pretty confident i could use an ipad uh for a lot of things but um hello the number you have reached is not in service. If you need assistance, please call directory assistance. This is a recording. 702-361. The number you have reached is not in service. If you need assistance, please call directory assistance. This is a recording. 702-361. So what just happened, Brian? I have no idea. So uh, very, very rarely uh, do I lose internet in my uh, new abode, but it just seemed to have happened. Like all of the lights went off on the router uh, slash uh, Wi-Fi modem. And as such, it it's such a pain in the butt, unfortunately. Um, so I'd like to blame it on the fact that I'm recording episode 13 right now. I think that's what it is. It's I, I didn't really think of it, but that's pretty apropos. It's <laughs> it's also yeah, partially what the issue is is that I live in a building whose wiring isn't 
um, the best or the newest. And I have a DSL connection, so I feel like unfortunately that's partially um, the problem at hand is is the DSL connection. DSL. It's like I'm podcasting with somebody from the 90s. Well, uh, when you live in a building like this, your options are rather limited, unfortunately. So you take what you can get. I do believe that, you know, we were right before our unfortunate, uh, uh, unexpected break, we were talking about uh, people on Twitter uh, defending iPad usage as a laptop replacement versus those who believe that a laptop is not an iPad. And so I feel like there's a, a bit of a rift there. Like there's the classic 80s and 90s Mac versus PC. And as you were saying, it's, it's sort of become like a new permutation almost. It's now Mac OS versus iOS. It's... Uh... It's people that think that uh, they use iPads are uh, the kids and uh, the real uh, computer users use Macs, which is really not true because there's some pretty amazing things that could be done on the iPad. And there's some people that run businesses basically from their iPads and are iPad only at this point. Yeah, those are called cam girls. No, no. <laughs> oh, jeez, Brian. <laughs> I feel like I've I've sullied the good name of of Mac OS for you right there. Yeah, jeez, God, man. Well, so, you know, iPad does what laptop don't. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, <laughs> so it's it's really not as exciting as the whole Nintendo versus Sega thing. Which uh, I don't know if you read Console Wars by Blake J. Harris, but that's a really fun book. Yeah, I have a first edition hardcover somewhere around here. I have it too. You make it sound like it's a book from the early 1900s. I'm a first edition of the, yeah, me too, from the book that's like five years old. Well, I, and also the weird part though is that uh, the intro is written by Seth Rogen and his writing partner Evan Goldberg because they're supposed to turn Console Wars into a movie, which I don't think is happening. I think it's sort of in development hell right now, right? So yeah, I had kind of forgotten about that because uh, I I really liked that book. It was great, and I like the way it was told because of the way it's 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 almost fictionalized it's uh, it's yeah, not i very much i very much enjoy the third person way in which it was done and um I, above all though i'm a sucker for like oral history books but uh beyond that i enjoy when a a, a narrative uh, a historical narrative um is continued throughout the book and i feel like they did a really good job of that yeah so is it just me or do i feel like our our whole uh tech section was kind of uh, ruined by our lack of technology with the the, the loss in internet it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> busted our flow you're gonna have to kind of uh finesse that in the in the post-production oh but it'll happen it'll uh, happen and and like I, I like we said i think it's uh it's apropos for the episode 13 here's a question for you right so we're talking about fanboys we're talking about mac versus pc nintendo versus sega mac os versus ios so are you you've seen the 1979 film the warriors right the walter hill film i have actually not seen the movie I think I played the video game. Yeah, there was a great PS2 game. That's the movie where the guy says, can you dig it, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I was going to ask you, like, if each of these people had to be, like, a different... Because the idea is that, like, um, a gang is mistakenly thought to have killed the guy who's trying to unify all the gangs. And then all these other gangs, like the Baseball Furies, are chasing after the Warriors as they're trying to get back home. They have to go through a lot of the, like, all of the burrows. Um, and I was going to ask you, like, if you had to assign qualities to like a mac os gang and an ios gang like how would you dress them up so the mac os gang would be older more seasoned tough guys they might fight a little dirty they can uh they can get uh, stuff that uh, the ios guys can't because the ios guys have to go to the regular supermarket to get stuff 
uh, and uh, the macOS guys can get black market things uh, from uh, the deep recesses of the web. The iOS guys have to just shop at this one store that uh, they can get their stuff at. Would you so, say that the iOS guys like ride skateboards around? Like, would it be that kind of aesthetic? Yeah, the 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 iOS guys are like the the younger, hipper dudes. Uh, they don't fight as dirty. The macOS guys are slower. Uh, they're they're not as mobile. I feel like the macOS guys all pop out of a Jeep and they all have chains in their hands. Yeah, that makes sense. And they're just like begrudgingly sort of like they're here. Uh, they're loud. Deal with it. That could work, Brian. That could work. <laughs> well, speaking of video games, uh, you linked me to a very interesting article this week, and I can't really speak to this as I am not a parent, but you linked me to a Kotaku article uh, where a father explains how his son ruined his uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild run. So uh, my brother-in-law uh, sent me this uh, because they were here last week, and uh, I was away at work, and they climbed the mountain near my uh, near my house here, and... Uh, he told me that as they were climbing, uh, my daughter was talking her aunt's ear off about uh, Zelda uh, for a good 20 minutes or so. I think that the adults kind of tuned out at that point because none of them played Zelda and I wasn't there. But uh, he thought of this article after he read it and sent it to me. And it's it's not really what happens in my household. I don't let my kid or, or kid, well, kids play Zelda without me. But this poor dad... Well, I was about to say like... Um... I, that's one of the main questions actually I want to talk about in relation to this article, which we'll obviously put in the show notes. But you as a parent, like how do you deal with video games and shared video game spaces? And I think like um, this article sort of explains how this guy's kid just kind of plays as he wants. He doesn't really listen to his father. You know, yeah, just... so that doesn't happen here. Uh, we So we have uh, at this point now, they, they both have iPads. <laughs> talk about... Uh, first world things right our uh every every family member has their own ipad in this household i just uh, like the idea that like this is a far cry from like none of my kids have cholera yeah my kids have ipads though my poor son only has an ipad do it's kind of slow but he doesn't care clearly he could tell the difference no he he can't he just he he plays a few games on it and watches netflix on it my daughter has my ipad mini which is essentially an ipad too but slightly faster and uh they play some games on that. Uh, I think I mentioned that my daughter played um, uh, Monument Valley. Yes. And uh, But the Zelda thing is more of uh, the, the two kids play with me and they kind of watch me play. Uh, sometimes I let my daughter roam around. My son has a lot of trouble with, with the controller. I mean, he's only three, so his hands are kind of still small to, to play the controller. My daughter... Do you ever belittle your son for his small hands? Well, that would be mean. Well... Uh, <laughs> But uh, no, he's 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 okay. But uh, he 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 kind of feels bad that he can't control it. But he likes being able to tell us where to go. And um, at first, he had a hard time differentiating between us watching playthrough videos on YouTube upstairs and us actually playing downstairs, where he'd be kind of yelling at the person on the uh, doing the game on YouTube, uh, telling them where to go. And I kept trying to tell them that that's not how it works it looks the same right they're both on tv screen uh, they both look the same but downstairs is when we play uh together we have um the nintendo's not in the the family room upstairs it's just in the basement we uh we roam around they tell me where to go and they have a lot of fun we played um a couple of times this week because of some rain and uh monday nights my wife is in here so i uh i take the kids downstairs and we play zelda it uh it's a fun pre-bedtime activity and have you caught either of your kids trying to play video games without you? 
No, they they're they actually they they listen really well. Like they would never even uh, think of doing that. My daughter does play with my 3ds and my old DS, uh, but it's only when we let her she let her play. She's uh, I have I have two well behaved children for the most part when it comes to uh, obeying those types of rules. Just uh, wait till teenagehood. I'm not looking forward to uh, the whole uh, dad can I borrow the car thing. Have you like, I think we've talked about this, but have you like gone into the, your mind's eye and seen yourself in like five, six years in the conversations you're going to have to have, um, you know, about video game boundaries and life boundaries only in my nightmares. Perfect. I'm yeah. glad to hear that you, uh, I know the way the, your mind works a bit. So I feel like you just go to worst case scenario automatically. Yes, of course. No, no, never, <laughs> never, never the normal stuff. It just jumps straight to the worst, worst possible thing. Like your son ends up with a monster truck for no reason at all, and he's twelve. <laughs> yeah, he he's. Uh, I think he's going to be a bit of a handful. He's uh, he's quite the character when it when it comes to not getting his way, uh, and uh, he he looks forward to weekend chores when I'm at the grocery store and my wife is vacuuming because that's his moment to play the iPad. That's the. Uh, where we can't really keep an eye on him. We know he'll sit on the couch quietly and play with the iPad while we're either, I'm not even in the house, my wife's vacuuming. That's his favorite time. And he constantly asks his mom if she's going to vacuum so that he can have the iPad. So I'm just going to throw this out there because I'm clearly not a parent, but I'm going to give you some unsolicited advice. Oh, thanks. At the age of 10, I think you should open up the door and be like, either you go get a job or you settle down. That's yeah, not how it works, 10. Brian. It's a great threshold. You're cholera-free, son. Get out there. This isn't the 1800s where I'd work on my farm at 10. <laughs> Tilling the soil. Maybe you should get him a plot of land at the age of 12 then. More unsolicited parenting advice for me. See, what did people like us do back then when they didn't have uh, podcasts to, to keep as a hobby? Well, I guess even 10 years ago, people didn't really have podcasts to do as they a were, hobby. They so. would listen to old broadcasts of War of the Worlds and hope for the worst. We need to talk about that actually one of these days because that's a whole interesting thing where that'll never ever happen again where uh, a broadcast of some kind will have people thinking that the world's being invaded by aliens because I think at this point people are kind of too savvy about stuff like that. I also think we're so beyond the spectrum of that. Like right now, like it's really invoked to talk about like things like fake news and alternative facts. Like I was arguing with a guy about flat earth this morning and I showed you this and I feel like we're so beyond that that like um, uh, we're so... Uh, antagonistic as a people that even if let's say this world of world scenario does happen no one's going to believe it until they get plasma rifles in the face that's absolutely true it's well it's like uh at this point you know we want to have good evidence of ufos but as soon as actually somebody presents actual true evidence no one's going to think it's real i probably would no not at all because it's so easy to fake something and make it look so absolutely real. And uh, and uh, you just made me think about how, how machines now are able to do so many things. And um, going back to Apple, they've done something they've never done before. And they launched a blog where they can actually uh, publish quasi-papers about uh, their machine learning um, endeavors that they've been following. Uh, there's no actual bylines to these things, so it's not really like a peer-reviewed journal. But uh, I was reading the first uh, post, and uh, it's pretty dense. It's it's kind of hard to get through if you're not a computer science major. It was uh, it was kind of interesting to read, 
but I really could. I don't know if you uh, took a look at the link I gave you. But it's, I it's, tried to. I tried. Yeah, to exactly. Much. You tried. I, mean, I tried to. It's 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 kind of hard to to go through it, right? Yeah. Um. So I applaud Apple for this, but on the other end of the spectrum, uh, speaking of like robot learning and robots this week, I don't know if you heard about the robot cop that was found uh, in the fountain <laughs> face down. Yes, it drowned itself. Yeah. It's so. <laughs> Somebody posted a, a tweet. I don't know who. I can't remember. I, I don't think I'll find it for the show notes. Sorry. But it was a tweet of uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk saying how uh, the uh, uh, AI might take over the world if we don't if we leave it unchecked. And then below it was a link to the story of the uh, robot drowning itself. So there's a, a, a quasi-famous, uh, and I use the word uh, famous very loosely because I am a horror movie fan, and so in the realm of horror movies, it's sort of famous. It's a 1980s slasher um, called Chopping Mall, where a, um, a fleet of a couple of robots uh, meant to uh, navigate environments and uh, sort of uh, keep uh, places safe uh, goes haywire and starts killing people after hours. And I feel like this is like the comedic version of that. The one robot that just tried to go crazy and then fell in a pool? Yeah, just like it was defeated by stairs and that's where it ended. Defeated you know, like, by stairs, that's great. That's really what it is when you really think about it. And like a ton of people have posted pictures of this sad little egg-shaped robot, um, you know, sort of <laughs> face down. It is I really wonder, sad. I haven't seen a cost uh, of like how much these robots do cost people. Like that's what I'd love to know is how much... One of these monstrosities slash like gigantic failures will sit you back as an organization. Is it is it tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands? You think? Oh, I'd say high five figures, low yeah. six. Yeah, as much as a car. Yeah, we should ask Elon Musk. He would know. I'll give him a call. <laughs> On your secret bad phone. On my iPad. Oh, of course. Better than a laptop. Of course, and also you should ask him unsolicited. Um, uh, child rearing advice because I feel like he might have a couple of things like strap your kid to a rocket like take your kid to Mars <laughs> yeah that's it, it's it'd be interesting to to kind of talk to a billionaire about these types of things I think they have a skewed view of how things work <laughs> I'd like to think that it'd be kind of fun to talk about though uh, like just shooting the breeze with someone like Elon Musk for like 20 minutes about something as arbitrary as as uh, rearing children I think would be very interesting and then at the end he just leaves you a Tesla a double density PSA don't you dare copy that floppy. Nor copy it, who cares? Double density. Welcome back to episode 13 of the Double Density Podcast. And as always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal, but uh, sort of uh, bridging the gap right now with some pop culture. Uh, so it was announced this week that there is a new Doctor Who in town. The 13th Doctor. And it is a lady. Yeah, 13th, how appropriate. Thank you, BBC, for setting us up. Yeah, exactly. They knew we had our 13th episode coming. They know I'm a Doctor Who fan. They know I really like Jodie Whittaker from her role in Broadchurch, and it was perfect. So you and my girlfriend both had the same uh, sort of uh, line of thought. Like, she's not a Doctor Who fan, but she enjoys uh, Broadchurch a great amount. And so when I showed her an article, she was like, oh, it's the girl from Broadchurch. I know her from a Black Mirror episode where she... It's the one where you can watch other people's memories through their eyes. Yeah, she was great in that as well. Yeah, and so if that's the caliber of acting we're getting to get out of a, a, a Doctor Who, like I'm very pleased by this. Unlike most of the basement dwellers on the internet who got really angry about all this. 
they're just sad, sad people. I don't like people like that. And uh, you know what? Just don't watch Doctor Who because Doctor Who is all about empowerment. And if you actually watched it this season, uh, you'd know that they were kind of headed in this direction anyway. At one point, uh, I think the doctor says the future is female. And uh, <laughs> I'm. it was like it couldn't have been more uh, set up for the new showrunner than that. And people were saying uh, since this the it's the showrunner from Broadchurch that's taking over um doctor who this season so it's pretty much a a, a complete reset so everybody's going to be gone and they'll have uh, a whole new cast and everything so it should be pretty exciting so uh, i uh, from my pro, from my own twitter personal account this week so brian uh, at brian hasty if you want to drop yours right in here too angelo what's your personal twitter handle it's at angelo Fiorin. i feel like we never do that and i think we should anyways so i tweeted out this week wait Grown adults are pissed off about the casting on a sci-fi show where the character regenerates and could be any human presenting form. Like, I thought the whole idea behind Doctor Who is that it just, it, it just inhabits a being. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be a straight, cisgendered white male. Well, it's not that he, the Doctor inhabits a being. He just takes on a new body and with that body a kind of new persona. So it, it, it's just an easy way of explaining that there's a new actor and they don't really have to worry about it. Uh, and they've gone from uh, every single time there's a complaint about who the doctor is, right? Like Matt Smith was too young. Peter Capaldi looked too old. Uh, there's always there's always complaints. And I've liked every doctor, actually. They've they've all had their uh, their great things. I, I really enjoyed the, this last run with Peter Capaldi. He's really great. But I'm really excited to see what Jodie Whittaker brings uh, to the role. It's going to be great. I don't think that this news changes anything for me. Like, I don't really care uh, too much about the concept. But once again, at the end of the day, like, who's it harming? Like, is it harming me? No. So I feel like if if that's used as a guiding principle, then, like, it shouldn't bother anyone. Uh, you know, uh, but I mean, like, uh, sci-fi nerds are a bit... Uh, how can I put this nicely? I'm trying to find a good diplomatic word that won't anger people. But, Brian, you saying that <sighs> if it doesn't bother... If it doesn't hurt you, it shouldn't bother you. But what planet are you living on? <laughs> right? uh, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so half of the most of the problems in the world would be solved if everybody had that mentality. But that, that's not, not how things work that way on planet no. realist Earth here. And before we get too political, let's talk about the number thirteen. Oh boy. Okay. So the number thirteen is largely considered to be an unlucky number, as you and I both have um, read and discussed. Uh, so I think we, I want to begin by the idea of the fear of the number 13. And I'm going to ask you to pronounce this phobia's name and then I will try to pronounce it. It's so Angelo, the floor is yours. It's Triskaidekaphobia. Triskaidekaphobia or the fear of the number 13. So it was uh, used as early as 1910 in a uh, book called Abnormal Psychology. So it's about a hundred years old. Uh, and I think it's very fascinating. And also, um, the fear of the number 13 comes from multiple sources, right? So uh, most famously, I guess, or I guess like the longest lasting I, uh, would be the idea that uh, Judas Iscariot uh, was the 13th uh, member of that fateful uh, Last Supper before uh, Jesus Christ's death. And he was also the betrayer. Yeah, there was also the Knights Templar. Right, as well as the, the mine one where it, um, it sort of bled into... Uh, the idea of the 2012 apocalypse phenomenon, which I'll, I think we should reserve a whole episode for that one time because I love talking about 2012 prophecies. Now that we live in 2017, we're all safe. There's nothing, no meteors. 
Yeah, that 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 was a whole thing when I was a kid growing up when we'd see those uh again referencing the ancient prophecies show uh talking about the Mayans and how the calendar just ends and nobody really thought that it's just how your calendar just ends all the time, right? The calendar on your wall at the end of 2017 ends, well, the one they discovered ended and that's it. They never really got a chance to publish a new one. That's why it ended. And I also um do you remember where you were December 21st, 2012? Uh, no. Oh, okay. We knew each I, other back then, though. We did. I was at a friend's uh, holiday party, and then uh, a friend of mine threw an end-of-the-world party, so we made our way, which was nice because they both lived in the same neighborhood, and it was like a three-minute walk, so it was perfect. I had my holiday dinner, then I went to go visit um, other friends and made sure that they were okay and they weren't crushed by asteroids, and then we you know, hung out and called it a night. So the number 13, of course, does carry with it um, certain uh, both uh, good and bad connotations, right? So um, I am born February 13th, so I myself consider 13 a lucky number. And uh, how many Friday the 13th birthdays have you had? Two. That's it? Yeah. No or yes? Yes. Wow. Yes. That's that's really... Only two, huh? Yes. I guess it doesn't happen that often in February. No. It, well, it, it doesn't because of the way that the calendar works, right? Um, so let's talk about a couple of events that were uh, related to Unlucky Number 13, including um, Apollo 13. Th- that, yeah, that's really interesting how it's Apollo 13 and the launch hour was 1313. Right. Which is just, you're just asking for it. Yeah. And then on April 13th, that's when there was an oxygen tank explosion. That's that's that is a crazy coincidence. Science cannot explain this one, Angelo. Do you yeah. concede that fact? I, I concede it, and NASA had <laughs> no idea. They should have just skipped it. They should have, but they didn't. I I feel like they were looking in the face of the number thirteen and couldn't uh, decide to like walk away from it. Uh, have you ever uh, lived or uh, visited a friend who lived on the thirteenth floor? So I've never noticed any buildings that are that are lacking the 13th floor, at least not here in Montreal. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, I have downtown in a couple of places. And then if you check the elevators usually, because, you know, if you're going that high, then uh, there's an elevator involved. And then, you know, uh, I, there are a couple of buildings, yeah, where it goes from like 12 to 14. It's, uh, is it just me or is it that silly? I don't disagree that it's silly. I, I mean, I guess like as a societal superstition, it makes sense. We're all scared of like weird things, right? So, well, um, on my street here, there's um, address six sixty four, and then it jumps to six sixty eight. Do you believe? Are you one of those people who actually believe that six sixty eight, like uh, like the six 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 number, is the wrong number for the devil? I just, I just think it's a number. I think it's hilarious that people worry about it being uh, an address here and. I was kind of surprised that that address didn't exist here, to be honest with you. It was, I thought we were beyond that here, but I guess not. Would you have bought a house at with the address 666? Probably, if I like the house. I don't see why not. <laughs> All right. Uh, would you have bought... Would you, like, uh, when you see the number 13, how do you feel about things? Like, it doesn't change you at all? Because for me, like, I feel lucky when it comes up in my uh, daily life. Yeah, I don't... It, it, it doesn't uh, do anything to me either way. It's it's just it's just a number. Well, you know what else happened um, on a 13th, right? The uh, Friday the 13th movie opened. 
<laughs> I mean, beyond that, oh. though, uh, one of our favorite uh, hoaxes to talk about, which is the Phoenix Lights. Is it a hoax? It, I thought it was. A, I thought yeah, we've discussed how this yes, is. A hoax. I'm just. I'm just messing with you. Yes, it's a total hoax. Well, it's not a hoax. There was an actual event. Um, I I wouldn't call it a hoax, though, Brian. I would just call it a misidentification of what people saw. Okay, that's fair enough. I was gonna say I was hoping that you would have uh, broken and suddenly like had seen the UFO light and decided to go uh, in that direction. But it's clearly like uh, uh, an army based operation that sort of got into the public a little more than we were supposed to see. Yeah, there were two events uh, that night. There was the the flyover and the flares, uh, and uh, and then the the thing that uh, always strikes strikes me in my mind about that event is the uh, the later pref con- uh, conference with uh, Fife Simonton when he w- brings out the alien, the, <laughs> the person dressed up as an alien. I, th- I always thought that kind of stuck with me, and it was kind of a playful way of kind of diffusing things, although right. it just made people mad. Right. Well, I mean, like when you're the governor of the state in which one of these things happens, like it's a no win situation, right? Like either you're like, yeah, this is weird. And then suddenly you get labeled an alien believer. And then uh, if you go the other way, you're a skeptic who's just covering up whatever the government's hiding. Right. So there's really no winning with that. No, there's there's none. Oh, by the way, I found that article that uh, talks about people who like uh, uh, who find the number 13 uh, lucky. So under lucky 13, it says in many countries such as Italy. And then it lists no other countries. <laughs> uh, but um, the expression uh, fare tredici, which means to do 13, means hit the jackpot in Italian. Okay. And 17 is considered the unlucky number in Italy. Have you ever used uh, uh, the expression in like your everyday life? Are you planning to incorporate that? And like your kid comes home with a really, really good report card. Do you yell out fare tredici? No, I have never actually said that in Italian until now. I'm going to give you homework. I think you should add it in. I think you should use it uh, in, like a, in, in a work setting. I'll just show up to my parents' house and say, uh, I'll say it uh, to them, and they'll wonder what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> and then just leave. Like, just default. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just show up, uh, knock on the door, and then they're like, where are the kids? No, I just came here to say that. Bye. <laughs> Ciao. <laughs> uh, I would love to watch that go down. I think that's a documentary uh, waiting to happen. Oh, did you know that Taylor Swift was born on December 13th and she considers 13 her lucky number? I did not, but I, I love it. I yeah. would uh, I would party with her. Her first album went gold in 13 weeks. And she's uh, always seated award so- shows in the 13th seat row or section. Never forget that uh, at the age of 13 in Judaism, it's when you become a, uh, a boy or a woman, right? So a bar or a bat mitzvah happens at 13. Yeah, I know that. And then a standard deck of cards, of course, has uh, 52 cards in it, but uh, each of uh, the four suits is 13. Interesting. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned before, like my lucky number is 13. I was born on February 13th. And don't try to steal my identity internet, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But good luck getting a 13 on your license plate if uh, you're from the Republic of Ireland. Right, so they they've done away like in 2013 they did away with that right because people are so superstitious that they do not want that on their license plates it's it's again really funny like the whole address thing down the street from me it's not a 13 but uh it's still kind of odd that you would not put numbers but people are uh, superstitions are strong like i knocked on wood before and it didn't really help because we lost internet 
because this is episode 13 and that's what happens when it's with the bad luck we're we're playing with our luck here brian we really i think are. yeah i think we should just quit while we're ahead or we could keep talking about 13 such as there are 13 legend <laughs> authentic crystal skulls in the world so yeah, the so you said authentic crystal skulls. So what do you mean by authentic? Because so the way that these so there are thirteen crystal skulls allegedly around the world, right? So um, to those who've uh, looked and tried to date them, these are ancient. These are probably mine. But the etching by which they were done um, did not exist at the time. So I find that a little bit peculiar. So I, I've I've always understood from what I've read is that they were fakely attributed to the Mayans and that these were all carved in the 1800s. Right. But even then, like the technology, as I understand it, like someone can correct us. If you want to correct us, go ahead, tweet at us, double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram, but we prefer to send us Facebook messages. Uh, um, the way I've understood it is that they, the technology is a little far advanced for the results. Well, you know, uh, if you look at the National Geographic article I gave you, it says that they are neither uncommon nor terribly mysterious. Right. So there. But National I also... Geographic, <laughs> you, this is big skull talking. They they know. <laughs> Either, yeah, they, uh, maybe they've been bought off by the skull consortium. Yeah, big skull. Have you thought about that? Um, but some people believe that these crystal skulls have powers too, right? Like they believe that these are either like ancient computers, which I think is great, or they're um, sources of energy, or they are able to record energy, which I think is also very fascinating. They um, all live in Sonoma. Yeah, <laughs> onto itself. Uh, they sit on, it's like the movie Cocoon, right? Like they're just, uh, they're old bodies hoping to be new again. Well, so the, 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 the worst thing about the Crystal Skulls is they brought us the movie Indiana Jones and the Kingdom, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. Uh, which is by far one of the most insane things that you can watch with a straight face. Like, I don't, I, you've seen the movie, right? I've seen it once. Yeah, I saw it in theaters, and boy, was I very confused. Uh, firstly, like, Shia LaBeouf is your sidekick. All right, whatever. Like, let even Stevens be your sidekick. But then the whole fridge thing, and then the Nazi thing, and the Crystal Skull, and the alien thing at the end. You know, The split. alien thing really got me. as like, okay. Got on. you as in super excited, or got you as in, I, like, I'm ready to It made I'm me sad for the Indiana Jones franchise, really. Three great movies, and then this. I like, where do you go from here at this point? They're supposed to do another one, right? Well, I mean, it's in perpetual talks, right? But uh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, it can't be any worse than the fourth one. But then I say that, and it probably will be worse than the fourth one. So what do I know? So these crystal skulls, are they the first thing we really disagree on? I think so. I think so. But I think it's a question of degrees. Like, I don't actually believe that they're um, anything supernatural. I just, I think that, like, uh, uh, their invention slash creation uh, uh, dates to an unnamed technology that maybe wasn't properly documented in... Uh, past centuries that sounds crazy to me brian <laughs> so this is the first time here on the double density podcast that we're agreeing to disagree like gentlemen but who knows i i agree that you may be nuts speaking of nuts <laughs> great segue um your friend and mine the great seer things in the future sean david morton is a fugitive a legal fugitive i bet he didn't see that coming <laughs> You need so, to insert a rim shot there. So Sean David Morton, of course, is uh, a uh, what is the word I'm looking for apart from huckster and hoaxer? Uh, a futurist, I guess, or like uh, a man who uh, sees into the future uh, 
was convicted in April and owes a ton of money uh, because they tried to hide a bunch of their cash uh, from the government and it didn't work out really well. So uh, if you want to go and read the whole um, court thing that he did not want a trial because he did not believe in the U.S. government's uh, constitution and then tried to establish his own uh, constitution as well as court proceedings and was thrown out. Anyway, so uh, they were supposed to be uh, sentenced on June 19th, him and his wife, and they're now running for it. I was going to ask, do you know where he is? But I guess not. <laughs> well, hold on. But... I'm going to call a couple of friends up. We're going to remote view this. And me and Ed Dames are going to hang out. We're going to remote view this. We're going to find him, and I'll tell you where he is next week. Because doesn't he have any psychic friends that could figure it out for him that to, to realize where he is? Or... Uh, did he so he's he's planned all this right he has it all planned because he saw this coming so they're never going to find them no they're never going to find him uh they're never going to give him up they're never going to let him down never going to turn around and desert us and he just rickrolled everyone yeah. <laughs> but yeah it's uh it, it's a something right now it's a something let me tell you i uh, sean david morton's uh, and his, you know, I'm not getting the Delphi Associates newsletter, unfortunately, anymore. You know, I used to. No, I didn't. I never did. But oh, um, another thing, I disagree with you. Then what? What a crazy idea! Like, who thought that? Like, and he, so the day after he started running for it, he set up a GoFundMe page. That's what we need. <laughs> like, it's no longer. It's now defunct. But he set up a page for his wife to fund his his uh, fugitivity. Yeah, that's that's a really good word. Yeah, so he's out in the wind somewhere. Uh, if you are hiding Sean David Morton, you can go ahead and let us know. You can email us at uh, <laughs> double density podcast at gmail.com. We'll accept any and all photos of you and Sean David Morton holding up a newspaper with uh, today's date or a future date, and uh, let us know why you're helping this man hide. Uh, it's because he can help people with the stock market and lottery numbers. Of course. If you actually want to head... And so I think that he and Gordon Michael Scalley need to just hang out in a shack in the desert and just write books What's all the time. What's these three-named dudes? It's true. It's true. And uh, if you actually... And we'll link to this in the show notes. But there's a pretty good... Um, I don't want to say expose, but kind of like a history of Sean David Morton and his credentials over at ufowatchdog.com. So Sean David Morton, um, 10 or 12 years ago, sued them are uh, for uh you know uh libel and uh sean david morton was unable to disprove any of the claims made on the website so that was quite interesting and now that he's on the run ufo Chog has uh, updated their website with that information there too so that's a great repository if you want to learn about this man and his supposed uh, visions and ideas and uh his close association to star trek creator gene roddenberry when most of the roddenberry family has never heard of him uh, a great place to read all these things we will definitely link it in the show notes for people to see because it is interesting when somebody's this far from the mark on everything and still claims to be a psychic and uh, couldn't even see his uh, problems with the law coming from a mile away, even though everybody knew it before he did, it seems like in this case. Well, you know, if you're going to play in the dirt, you're going to get dirty. That's what they say. <laughs> That's a, such an old person saying. I know. I know. I, I wish I had a rocking chair when I podcast because I'd feel a lot better with that. I have um, one where I scream at the kids in my neighborhood to get off my lawn. Oh, there you go. As you live on number 13, you know, Angelo Lane or whatever you live. Yes, that's exactly where I live. <laughs> Don't be creepy. Now you know where I live. 
Um, speaking of things that creep us out, uh, so John Keel, uh, author of the Mothman Prophecies, are, um, uh, and several other books, uh, passed he, a while he back. Invented the, he invented the Men in Black. Yes, yes. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, he invented and popularized the Men in Black. So his family, or someone close to him, has started uploading all of his um, handwritten as well as typed notes uh, to uh, johnkeel.com, which is really cool to read through, and also, as you were saying, really difficult to read through. Yeah, because I have a I have a lot of trouble reading other people's writing, um, even though I actually have to do that at work pretty often. But uh, it's it's a lot easier to read the typewritten stuff, and you've taken the time to go through some of it. And I think you told me to send me the stuff that's easy to read, just like uh, you're treating me like a child at this point. But it's it's really helpful. <laughs> so I've been digging through this, and uh, so there's a six part report called the strange case of the pregnant woman which was typed up in 67 or 68 and uh so it's never seen the light of day uh, um, until now and it's a very interesting story so one through five kind of normalish kind of stuff there's men in black there's aliens etc etc there's hybrids but then the last part kind of just goes off the wheels at one point so i'm going to read from this okay so please do uh it's entitled aftermath um and so yeah i'm going to put some like dramatic music under this so get ready settle in we're going to do this together Helen's baby was born about 10.30 p.m. on Saturday, October 28, 1967, the same evening at the preceding Men in Black encounter. About 9 p.m. that evening, a large black car arrived at her home and transported her to an isolated house. She does not remember the trip at all, either going or returning. Several other women, also known to me as silent contactees, were also at the house. All were pregnant. All had their children that evening. Telephone communication was established with me by another woman present. For three long, unbelievable hours, I supervised the proceedings by remote control, as it were. I spoke to each woman and can clearly hear the sounds of the babies as they were born, etc. I referred to my various medical books and gave instructions over the phone. I have tape recordings of the entire sequence of events. Two aliens, a man and a woman, performed the births. The woman remained in a trance-like state and served as the control. The man handled the actual deliveries following my instructions. Four children were born, including Helen's. They all looked alike, were dark-skinned, and had oriental features. Two of these children died later. There were several cries during this operation. One of the women began to hemorrhage, sorry, crises, not cries. Crises during this operation. One of the women began to hemorrhage uncontrollably. The man produced from his car a small box-like instrument which stopped the bleeding instantly. One woman was uh, hysterical. The babies were born within minutes of each other. All of the mothers returned to normal instantly after giving birth. They were able to walk about and talk normally immediately afterwards. All were in fine, healthy shape the next day when I spoke to them. So... Uh, this is a story by John Keel where he uh, delivers uh, baby bees via phone and tells a uh, pair of aliens how to help deliver babies from women. Talented man, that John Keel. How insane is that? We all know that John Keel is a writer. He's an author. He was a very talented one. But people think these things were real, like he actually lived these things. I mean, barring the Mothman prophecies, which has multiple witnesses, and I, I feel like you and I were going to get into this like at a later date. Um, this is an insane story, and I feel like uh, this is proto-trolling. <laughs> like, I feel like someone was like, let's screw with John Keel and pretend we have all these pregnant women, and then, oh, all the babies are dead. Whoops. Oh, so you think somebody actually did this, like, clowned around with him on this? I think someone pulled his leg a little bit. Yeah, I'll be honest uh, with you. See, like, I, think, I think he's the... The the mastermind the guy who's yeah he's he was a funny he was funny like he was uh, he was very strange but I think deep down he had a really good sense of humor about these things and uh, kind of played on on this with with other people kind of claiming these things were real but they weren't this is so ridiculous so what I'm hearing from you is that you think that John Keel colon proto troller 
slash master storyteller. Yeah. All right. I, I mean, I, I do think that there are outside forces screwing with him. I don't think that he actually just created all of this. I do think that like, um, I don't want to use the word gullible, but he was very um, into the stories of uh, people as they were told to him. So I feel like in an effort uh, to uh, take part in the narrative, he believed these people who called him and believed that these people were aliens and believed that these people were having babies. So I feel like uh, you and I are once again disagreeing uh, well, on episode 13 of the Double Density podcast here. I'm going to have to go on my iPad laptop and uh, look at this a little longer and, and review uh, the information you've given me. Um, funny thing about John Keel, JK, those are his initials, and J and K are the Men in Black from the Men in Black movies. Right. I thought you were going to say JK isn't just kidding. Also. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> That's where I thought you were taking this one, not actual factual. No, I was going to the movie. Men in Black, the successful uh, comic book to movie franchise. Yeah. So, but yes, just kidding as well. Uh, so, have you read the Mothman Prophecies? I've seen the movie. Okay. So, I got to get not- you... I got to get you a copy of that somehow, some way. And I think that you and I need to do an episode about that because I think uh, it's a very fascinating read. It's a very gripping narrative. I don't necessarily believe the entirety of it. Um, Actually, no, not even the entirety of it. Probably like most of it. I'm sure Um, I could get it on Kindle or something. Yeah, but I think that uh, we're going to discuss this at a later date. But yeah, I thought that was a really interesting story where, oh, suddenly uh, John Keel's on the phone uh, telling aliens how to pop babies out of women. By remote control. It's so odd. I know. (laughs) Just like this entire episode is a little odd, you know, like episode 13. I don't know where this is going. So I think that like um, before anything else happens and the internet gives out again, I think that uh, I'm going to call a halt to this episode right here and end things. How does that sound to you? I think that's good. We've, we've done okay for our, our 13th episode. Uh, it's I, I just wonder how it's going to sound once we uh, once we get it all uh all out there. There's no there's no Kindle version of the, the Mothman prophecies, by the way. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, so I think on three, you should give me like a really good Fare Tredici. One, two, three. Fare Tredici. There we go. So this has been episode 13 of the Double Density Podcast. And as always, you can reach us over at Twitter. So double underscore density on Facebook, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram. Angelo, once again, I think we should start doing this. What's your Twitter handle? It's at uh, Angelo Fiorin. And mine is at Brian Hasty. If, uh, is there anything else that you want to shout out this week? Fare <laughs> tredici. <laughs> no. Uh, no, nothing else. It's, uh, we're excited about our new um, quick turnaround, turnaround on these things so we can actually talk about more uh, recent news things, especially in the tech side of things, because everything we were mentioning was kind of like old news by the end of the week. So now it's, it's kind of getting, uh, it's a little better like this. And uh, yeah, what about you, Brian? What are you up to? Uh, nothing. I um, uh, same old, same old. So you know what, everyone? Tune in next week as Angelo reads from his manifesto: "Crop circles: colon Who's ruining my crops?" Until next week, this is the Double Density Podcast. <laughs> you you said double density, <laughs> <laughs> duple densidad. Uh, take that again. Okay, this is. The, I'm gonna leave this in. It's the Double Density Podcast. Tune in next week, Angelo. You want to say goodbye? Goodbye. Ciao.